Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Son of Neptune. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I am, I'm frankly relieved to be back on this after uh, our last bonus episode. Uh-huh. Uh, where we discussed Rick Ryden's debut novel, Big Red Tequila, patreon.com slash unwisegirls if you'd like to listen to that. Uh, but uh, we're back to only having to talk about four chapters. This, I have to engage fewer of my scant neurons to make this work. Yeah, this is a breeze compared to that. <laughs> How are you? You know, I'm doing okay. I am just as excited as you to get back to the chapters. So how about we uh, get right into the summaries? There is a little bit of news first. Oh, shit, just, really? Just a, well, yeah, no, nothing major. Just uh, Rick did one of his uh, News from the Ride and Verse blog posts. Uh, there's not a lot in here other than just, you know, the sun and the star exists. Uh, there's a new Rick Ryan Presents novel called The Lords of Night coming out. Uh, Rick also talks about the Percy Jackson TV show uh, in terms of like he's talking about the editing process and compares it to the Snyder Cut of Justice League what? (laughs) oh you know how so? Uh, so like wait so they they shot it all and then they came back and shot a different movie uh, is what happened (laughs) like with the Snyder Cut yeah, they CGI'd in uh, uh, Martian Manhunter, but they didn't tell Ben Affleck whether it would be Martian Manhunter or Green Lantern, so he's just kind of reacting to nothing. Oh my fucking god. Uh, so... At each step, notes are given, improvements are discussed, changes are made. We have begun the process now for the first couple of episodes, though we have a ways to go. It really is incredible how different two cuts can be of the same episode. If you saw the original Justice League, then saw the Snyder Cut, you have some idea what I'm talking about. It's almost a completely different film, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, Rick. <laughs> yeah, weird how that happens. It's almost like it's a completely different film. I, God, that's so fucking funny. Rick Riordan is a nerd. Just he a is a nerd ass nerd. He is a nerd ass nerd. He also spends a lot of this post talking about like uh, film and TV lingo that he's picked up, uh, which is, I don't. You know what? I was gonna read some out, but those are just jokes that he's made, and that feels derivative. Just go and read the post yourself. <laughs> There's also a picture of a dog that you can look at. Oh, fuck yes. Any, just, how would you compare this dog to, like, a Mrs. O'Leary? Uh, this is a much smaller dog than a Mrs. O'Leary, but it's also uh, a service dog, so undoubtedly a very good doggo. Yay. It's it's one of the great injustices of the world that, like, you, it, it, you cannot pet service dogs. Who are like, That's true. They, they are in, in. They deserve pets for being good, but also you cannot disrupt their very important work, and you have to respect that. It's just it's painful. It is painful. This is like, yeah, it's like longing. It's like one of the great injustices of the world, and it's definitely like it's like, it's the way that you want something that you can never have. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's quite sad. Uh, something that I really want, but that you insist on denying me, uh, is the chapter <laughs> summaries. Uh, fine, I will. I will stop denying you the summaries. I will. I will do you this service, like a a, a service Jane, unlike a service dog. A service Jane. That's quite nice. <laughs> All right, chapter forty-one, Hazel. 
Hazel has Frank lower her into the ground by holding onto the end of his bow as she desperately attempts to retrieve Percy. Unfortunately, this leaves her almost totally underground, and in prime position for Gaia to launch a vicious psychic attack against her. She forces Hazel to flash back to one of her good memories with her mother, a picnic in New Orleans, and claims to Hazel that her mother completely fucked up her life. If she hadn't gone to Gaia to make a compact, Hazel was, apparently, fated to marry Sammy and live a long, happy life with him. In fact, Sammy never forgot Hazel, and still thought of her before dying of a heart attack in the 60s. Gaia offers Hazel a chance to essentially die peacefully. If she accepts her fate and lets the ground swallow her, Gaia can compress her happy life into Hazel's final moments for her to experience as a full immersion hallucination. She won't even be letting Percy die. Gaia will keep him safe until she has a use for him. Of course, Hazel refuses. First of all, she doesn't take kindly to being offered a return to a life that Gaia took away to begin with, as if it's some act of benevolence to give it back, while also rejecting Gaia's argument that her second life is just as much an illusion as the hallucination would be. Gaia says that she's making a mistake. While Gaia might have used her, Nico used her and lied about her, and as a result, Hazel should be happy that she, ha that she has actually captured him. This freaks Hazel out, but not enough to break her resolve, and she manages to grab Percy and give Frank the signal to pull them out. After recovering and telling Frank and Percy about everything, except Sammy, that's a little too raw just now, the trio continue on to Hazel's old hometown to find a place to recover. Chapter 42 Hazel eventually leads them to her old house, which is a dump, but it's still there and affords some privacy for her and Percy to try and scrub the mud off their clothes. The kids find that at various points it's been used as a storage warehouse for random tat, especially greetings cards. Hazel also finds that a lot of her stuff is still here, protected from the elements by a carelessly placed sign, crayon drawings and photos of Sammy. Finding this causes her to break down a little, but Percy notes that Sammy looks weirdly familiar to him. Frank heads into town to get wet wipes and fresh clothes, while Hazel and Percy have a feelings jamboree about how neither Percy nor Frank will let her die again. It's morning by now, so the kids head into town to try and find a boat to charge to the glacier. Unfortunately, at this point they realise they fucked up. No boat can get them there before the Feast of Fortuna, and none of the airstrips are open. All seems lost when all of a sudden Arian returns, saving them from a flock of griffins who are about to swoop in on them. The kids climb on his back, and he gets to the glacier on time by running over water so fast that he breaks Mark 9. Chapter 43 Arian gets them onto the Hubbard Gla Glacier, and the kids find themselves in a giant-scale replica of a Roman war camp, seemingly completely empty except for Thanatos, who's chained up in the middle. The gang realise this must be a trap, but they need to get him, so they rush in, only to be surrounded by an army of the shades of Roman soldiers. Chapter 44 There are around 100 ghosts, all decked out with Imperial gold. Many seem to be members of the failed Camp Jupiter expedition in the 80s, but some are even older. Hazel worries that, with the magical power stored in Imperial Gold and the high concentration around them, trying to metal bend will just set off the magical equivalent of a nuclear bomb, and decides not to do that. Thanatos, who everyone seems to agree is hot in a sort of ethereal, otherworldly kind of way, explains that he has no control over these shades, and that Gaia has instead offered them a shot at getting out of Asphodel if they do this one job for her. He's also confused that Hazel wants to free him, but ultimately doesn't care, and generally acts very cold and impartial. He lectures the kids about how death is fundamentally unfair and horrible, and how they're going to have to tank unwelcome sacrifices if they free him. More immediately than they think, too. Not only will they get swarmed by the shades the second they move to free him, but Thanatos explains that the only way to break the icy chains that hold him is with the fire of life. In other words, using Frank's firewood. 
So, what do you think of these chapters? These were weird ones. They're, <laughs> like, they're pretty good. Yeah. All things considered. But also, these are Hazel's final chapters in the book. Oh, shit. Yeah, I guess they are. That This is a weird conclusion for her. Yeah, it feels like when you have three different perspectives, you want the the final perspective chapters for a book to sort of wrap something up for a character. And I... What does mm-hmm. this wrap up for Hazel is, I guess, a question I want to pose. Uh, not a lot, really. It more kind of, it it takes the conflicts that she's had going throughout this entire book, drives them to, like, a fever pitch, gets you right on, right for, ready for a finale for them, uh, and then moves to a different character's perspective. Basically, yeah. And it, this book doesn't feel like it's going to end in six chapters either. No, it feels like there there is so much shit left to do. Like that, there's a whole ass. Well, I was about to say there's a whole ass battle that has to happen at the uh, the at Camp Jupiter, but I wonder if this is maybe like maybe like the opening of the next book will be the battle or something. Like this one wrap, wraps up the shit in Alaska, and then that's actually really possible. I like I hadn't thought about that at all because usually just like that's not the way Rick Riordan mythology books work. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that's like super duper possible. I that'd be interesting actually. I'm kind of curious to see. Yeah, we have eight chapters left, and I, I think I think I think these were pretty good. How about how? What do you think? I I'd say my temperature is about the same on them. We kind of we get back some of that energy that we really like during uh, Hazel's flashbacks of like, you know, Alaska being this kind of creepy, hostile place, and especially like Hazel being constantly haunted by Gaia. So I think that that's that's pretty good. We, I always like to see more of that. Yeah, that's true because like we talked about that a lot when we t- were talking about those flashbacks, and now we've we also, uh, I think especially in I think these last like Percy and Frank chapters, uh, talked about how Alaska is portrayed, which was very it's very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Percy has an entirely different perspective on Alaska than hazel does and i'm glad that when we switch to her view we see that she is like not thinking about like the untouched wilderness and the potential of it all (laughs) and like all that she's thinking about like oh fuck the house i used to live in is full of greeting cards what the hell is happening this is like like a weird everything is different everything is weird but it all reminds me of my past it's it's i'm glad they have like concretely different perspectives that color the tone i guess yeah, definitely. Like we we've complained a bit about uh, Rick not fully taking advantage of like multi-character perspective by like not having the characters spread out or anything like that. But I think this is something that he's he's doing pretty well is like giving characters their own perspectives on things and channeling that through their like narration. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing about Hazel is that she immediately gets offered a different life, and this actually, I think for most characters this would feel very like well, of course they won't take it. Uh, and that's still basically the case for Hazel, but her life is already so ephemeral that this mm-hmm. feels like more compelling of an offer than it usually would, I think. Yeah, there's like, because this is kind of the chapter where she really puts her foot down and is like, no, no, I am alive again. This is another chance. Because she's been kind of shaky on that before. So like, it's it's interesting to see Gaia putting forward this idea of like, well, you know, it would basically be the same thing if I just uh, rammed a hallucination into your oxygen-starved brain until you died. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, by the way, extremely fucked up thing to offer. Incredibly, yeah. <laughs> also, is Gaia just making shit up, or do you think she's telling the truth? Because, like, I about I guess about Sammy specifically, because... Oh, this is bullshit. We hear that he moves to Texas and dies in the 1960s, which means he must have been, like, I don't like in his late 30s at the most, and he died of a heart attack. Yeah, I, I maybe the Sammy stuff is true, but I think any everything that she says about, like, oh, you could have had a really good life uh, is, is bullshit, because she specifically talks about how, like, oh, you could have had a life where your mother adored you. And, like, no... No, Hazel's mom was an abusive piece of shit even before Gaia was on the scene. Yeah, yeah. And especially offering that to her, Gaia being the one to do that doesn't feel right. Like, it feels right for in terms of the story, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like she could actually do much beyond JAMA hallucination of what <laughs> she thinks might have happened uh, into her brain, like you said. Yeah. Because, to me, Gaia is a very, like, I guess very material in a way. Like she's the earth like the earth is arguably the world's most solid thing (laughs) and to me that doesn't indicate like future knowledge so much although i don't maybe there's something that's already happened that i guess it'd be past knowledge i i guess so i guess i mean like what would have happened Mm -hmm. i mean yeah yeah i see that then again i guess if you're like asleep or whatever then maybe all you do is dream of potential futures who knows i I do also want to... I usually rag on the UK editions of these books quite a lot. But the specific way that this one is formatted, like the way the pages are laid out, uh, meant that I I start the first chapter where Hazel uh, goes into the ground to try and get uh, Percy. Uh, and it jumps into like, oh no, I'm having a, a blackout again. I thought Ella said I was done with these. And then you turn the page and it's Gaia's voice in italics saying oh but my dear this is a gift from me which is that that's fucking rad i love that little that little reveal that like oh this is hazel having a blackout seems like the worst thing that could possibly happen oh it's actually worse it's the classic like junji ito page turn (laughs) like like obviously like that's not that's probably not like this is a a, like coincidental example probably to an extent it's probably different between editions uh-huh but also like it's the it's the move of like junji ito putting a character like looking out a window one panel and the next page uh like there you can see that from the reaction that they're horrified at something and then you t- have to turn the page to see the fucked up scary monster or whatever yeah and that's that's kind of the same vibes <laughs> i also i feel like rick's really been on like a descriptive prose hot streak lately uh-huh. Because we talked a lot about, like, how good it was when he was talking about Alaska in the last set of chapters. We, we talked a lot about how good it was in Big Red Tequila. And he uses it in a really interesting way during this, like, hallucination. Where it starts out as this, like, pleasant, warm New Orleans day. And then he, he uses the same, like, sensations of, like, the smell of the grass and the chocolate and, like, the, the noise around Hazel in this, like, flashback. And he just turns up the intensity of them over time until it's literally suffocating Hazel. And it's such a good way of, like, ramping up the horror of the scene and making it just get more and more intense and also reflecting the fact that Hazel is suffocating in real life. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredibly well done. (laughs) 
Some, sometimes, sometimes Rick can write good. He, he can. <laughs> we constantly rag on Rick Riordan, but I would say that he is a good writer. <laughs> and maybe I think maybe taking a little break to read Bigger at Tequila helped me see this. That's it's very possible. But yeah, that that's our podcast hot take. Uh, multiple times, New York Times number one best-selling author Rick Riordan. He might be onto something. Yeah, the like. 20 year straight number one best selling children's book author Rick Riordan <laughs> doing some doing something he's doing something alright um, the the conversation between Percy and per- Percy not Percy who the fuck is Percy uh, <laughs> between Percy and Hazel in uh, chapter 43 <laughs> Chapter 42, rather. Uh, God, uh, is does it feel to you like the first time they've ever talked in this book? Um, I don't know. I I feel like this is... Because we, we have seen them interact before, like, but it was a while ago. This was at, like, Camp Jupiter, where, like, Hazel is forming the impressions of Percy that are now, like, kind of being upended here. But, like, I don't know. They, they, had, they had some cool interactions back then. But I know what you mean. They haven't really had a lot of um a lot of FaceTime since then. Yeah, that was like forty chapters ago. Oh, fuck it was. No, you're right. <laughs> it's just I don't know why. It feels like they've never spoken one on one to each other like they are now. I guess Frank is just always around. Them getting them getting him to like run to the store to like get some wet wipes or whatever is very good. <laughs> um, especially because like I don't know. I love Frank. But sometimes we need Percy and Hazel to talk. Some sometimes it needs to happen. Exactly, and the conversation itself is largely just more of Percy doing what he's been doing in this book, and like, hey, come on, younger kid, cheer up, it'll all be okay. You're doing good. Which is, you know, it's more of what Percy has been doing in this book, but also it is very gratifying to see that he has grown to the point where, like, because this is what like Luke was doing for him at the start of Lightning Thief. Uh, and he's doing that without being a weird murdering fascist. That's a really good comparison, actually. <laughs> uh, he he kind of has grown into a Luke figure for these kids. And at the, it's interesting. And, like, especially after he was just dragged out of the mud and was like, oh, he's completely blue. Like, you can see his throat. Like, they're <laughs> spitting up mud. Drowning in mud has to be the scariest fucking idea in the world. I I bet that the reason that um, we cut to Hazel's perspective right as Percy goes into the mud uh, is because you cannot put his perspective on drowning in mud in a children's book. That it's would just horrifying. freak children the fuck out. <laughs> It like drowning itself. Yeah, drowning itself already pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's a, uh, it, it's just like one of the worst ways to die, surely. But it must be. Adding in the element of like, oh, and it's solid, and it's like forcing itself in through your nose and your throat and your ears and all of that. It's like, ugh, it's ugh. Oh, I guess I like it's... I guess it's possibly even worse because Percy would be held in that state without dying. Yes, Gaia said oh that she was going to keep him down there. Christ, you're right. <laughs> I really did think this was going to turn out to be like Percy gets swelled into the earth and has like a face to face conversation with a, with like an aspect of Gaia or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like last last episode, uh, the reveal that it's just like 
oh, the Alaska mud uh, is, I mean, it's actually, I think, pretty clever because at the, that is basically what it ends up being is like a, it's obviously Gaia doing it, but it's still using that natural environment in an interesting way. It is also very funny that Percy walks off the beaten track for five seconds and falls into some of the deadliest shit that you can fall into. It's so Looney Tunes. It's so Looney Tunes. It's so... Percy's luck has always been dog shit. Uh Uh-huh. This feels like maybe one of the best examples of that. Of just the universe kicking him in the teeth for doing literally anything. Uh Uh-huh. What's the deal with ravens? I genuinely have no idea. I still think that this is a stealth Magnus Chase crossover. <laughs> that would be cool, but also that book series wouldn't come out for another like 27 years or something. <laughs> He's setting it up. He's putting the groundwork in place. It's like it's like well the the prophecy of the seven was in Last Olympian. He's he's done this before. That's true. Yeah. Uh in reality, I have no idea. I guess it's just a Pluto thing. I guess so, but like, it's the land beyond the gods. Well, yeah, but it's not the land beyond the bird that the god owns. You know, I, they they can send but, their allies up there. The demigods are there. I suppose, but that's interesting because why can't like Poseidon move the water for Percy? Then is my thought. Like, but he can. Is how so? That happens in these chapters. <laughs> Does it? Yeah, uh, when they're being attacked by the Griffins, I actually don't blame you for missing this because it's another boring Griffin encounter. But uh, Percy uses the water to smack one of the Griffins. Oh, you're right. You're right. I. <laughs> yeah, the Griffins are also back, speaking of birds. <laughs> um, and it's once again so contrived. Just Griffins are here now, I suppose. Let's hit them for a I, while until something shows up to save us. I was so fucking convinced that they were going to, like... Actually, this kind of would have been kind of cool, honestly. They were going to, like, ride onto the bat... On, like, the Griffins to Hubbard I Oh, Blazer. that... I would honestly kind of prefer that to what happened. Like, Ariane is fine. Ariane is a cool horse. I like that he swears and says bad words and stuff. But also, it would have been a better... It would have mean... It would have meant the Griffins more were more relevant, I guess. It would make the Griffins relevant, and it would make um, it would make them moping about not having a way to get to the glacier feel less like a pointless detour. Because like, right. Arion fucked off for unexplained reasons, and fucks back in for equally unexplained reasons. So at this point, he is literally just entering and exiting as the plot requires. So if they if they at least made use of the fact of of the Griffins that have been set up in the last set of chapters, I think I would have preferred that. If Arion had like, he went away to hold off some enemies for a while, and they weren't sure if he was still alive, that would be yeah. something at least. But he, he literally just like went to graze, didn't he? He just went to get some food. God. He went to Taco not... Bell. Like I like this horse, but <gasps> wait, no, I don't what, know if he I'm was a... getting the um. Oh fuck! What is it? The the mcdonald's burger that you can only get in alaska oh my god wait is it like a salmon burger or something no it's fuck they were talking about in the shrieking shack fuck it no i can't remember what the name is never mind no how sad the denari big mac something like that no denari is just the money fuck it whatever yeah i was about to say isn't that just money like (laughs) roman money or greek money the point is that arion is a device for the plot yeah i i wish that wasn't true but (laughs) 
like I guess okay let's let's take this back to the original thing uh this I guess represents Hazel we know that Ariana is a metaphor for Hazel's like freedom and, and independence and mm. um so I guess Ariane being the one to deliver them to the glacier at, right after she like makes her big declaration of like wanting to like live her life as she is now that's that kind of makes sense I I guess but that, it doesn't coincide with that you know it, it coincides with after they sat sit down and have breakfast and then have an action scene like if Ariane had like shown up at Hazel's old shitty house and she like left that house forever after making that declaration on Ariane I feel like the the connection there would be a lot stronger. I I agree. Um, <laughs> you're thinking of the of the Denali Mac. The Denali Mac. That's it. Yeah. That wasn't worth it. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. It's a uh, it's it's a specialty burger with larger beef patties and extra sauce. Not worth it is actually what Arion said when he came back. It's just a slightly <laughs> bigger burger. He doesn't get what the deal is. God, I want. I, I want to know what Ariana's saying. I think it'd be so much fun here if this, <laughs> if this horse was actually able to curse in the story. <laughs> Instead of just... Like, the bit is kind of growing old of Percy being like, wow, he's cussing so much. Ah, he's swearing in my ear. Ah, so he's saying such mean things. Like, you can get away with one. You can do one cuss. Surely. Surely one. Or, or like, if we just get, like, in the last chapter or something, we're hearing Arion from Percy's perspective, and it's just a stream of abuse. If we just let the horse say fuck. <laughs> let the horse say fuck. Percy has been denied. Yeah. Uh, ask anyone who's ever lived in Alaska, and they'll tell you that Alaska is just different, a spokesperson for McDonald's Alaska says. <laughs> yeah, they I'm got horses in their into- fucking McDonald's. I'm not going to turn this into a munch squad, but, uh, <laughs> Christ. So, yeah, Arion comes back, they get to the glacier. This is this is where the actual, the interesting stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Thanatos. Thanatos he- is, I, I'm grateful for this description, allowing me to just 100% impose the Hades version straight over the top of this. It literally sounds exactly like the Hades guy, yeah. They must have stolen that from this book. I refuse to believe it's a coincidence. I could see it. I mean, he's literally described as like an angel of death. He he like, it's such a fucking like anime shot, like just <laughs> like set up here because it's like his cloak falls off of his shoulders and he's revealed to have these big like. Doesn't he literally have like the Sephiroth like one angel wing, one devil wing, or whatever? Uh, hang on, let me. No, his wings glimmered in shades of blue, black, and purple, but they seem to be, like, the same kind of wings. But they are multicolored. They are multicolored wings. He's just, he's just so, like, oh, shit. It's everyone at once going, like, oh, shit, he's hot. <laughs> God, they really are. Like, they... Like, because Hazel, like, is stunned by how hot he is. And nobody else is talking in that interval. So, like, I can only assume that this, the Frank and Percy are having the same reactions. For sure. The, the position he's playing here is very much, like, he's incredibly attractive, but also uh, he is maybe the scariest thing we've encountered in this book so far. Because he, like, he, we're seeing him through Hazel's eyes, of course, and Hazel yeah. just, like, instinctively knows that, like, if he literally thought for a second about her dying, she'd be back to the underworld instantaneously. 
Yeah, she wouldn't even be able to, like, put up a fight or anything. That's how tenuous her grip on, like, life is. Which is, like... That's just really fucking scary. <laughs> it is. Especially when, like... We come, we kind of come up against the biggest physical remainder of her in this world at the end of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Alcyonius appears. That I'm just going to read this. Hazel had never seen him fully formed. She knew him better than she knew her own parents. She had made him. For months, she had raised gold and gems from the earth to create this monster. She knew the diamonds he used for a heart. She knew the oil that ran in his veins instead of blood. That's fucking awesome. It's awesome. I I wish the di- the giant's designs were cooler. Yeah. He's just a big dude with dragon legs. I I want more variation. <laughs> Like this, this, this could be so cool. Like this could be like a big, just like cobbled together creature who is like highly representative of like, well, I think what this does get across is like the connection to Alaska and like Mm -hmm. the idea that like, oh, you can't kill this thing in Alaska. Like as long as it's in his home territory, as long as he's in his home territory, he'll never die. Like, oh yeah, he is made of Alaska in some very, like, very real ways. I think that gets across, but I wish it was something other than the same thing we've seen five times already. Yeah, the the giants are just kind of nothing. Like, this is the first inkling of anything interesting to do with them, I think, is Hazel's description of it and, like, her personal enmity with it. And it's so weird because we've seen giants in this series before. Mm-hmm. Typhon was a giant. Yeah. And Typhon was fucking was was just like so powerful that every single god was scared and didn't and wasn't just like a huge guy, but manifested as like a giant storm that he blew was across the hurricane. country. Yeah. And I think if we if we got more stuff like that, obviously can't all be on that level, but if it was more like that, I guess, more natural, more huge, more obviously descended from the earth in this type of way, mm-hmm. then I, th- I think that would be better than what we're currently getting. Yeah, definitely. Although, I, I mean, I was thinking about this because I was ragging on this series for not really having, like, a good central antagonist. And, like... You know what? Guy is actually not that bad. I wasn't really thinking about her when I said that. Yeah, I mean she's good. Like she's uh, uh, like she's connected to all the characters. She has like vaguely she has she has motivations that are compelling to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and like her her threats are actionable. She seems like she's a big threat. A, a pretty good antagonist, I would say. She's pretty good. She's like. I think the main issue at the minute is that she is, like, in her early book Kronos era. Uh-huh. Where she's very much in the background, and it's the giants who are pulling the duty of, like, main book antagonist. Because whenever Gaia shows up, it's something interesting, like the uh, the Phineas death game chapter. All the hallucination shit going on here. But she's just not around enough. But, you know, that's... If she follows the Kronos trajectory, that'll probably change later, so may- maybe we're in for an improvement there. Yeah, but still, what you really want when you're like, oh, there are exactly this many giants. They're all going to, going to appear, and they're all going to be like evil opposites to the to the Olympians. Like mm-hmm. you have to make that cool. Like you have to make them all like fucking no more heroes bosses or whatever. Absolutely, but, yeah. 
but that's not what they are. Like, I, Typhon's the coolest one, but he wasn't. He's not even in the series. He was already defeated. Mm-hmm. So we just get like shittier giants. Huh. <laughs> <sighs> I wonder if maybe like Rick is has his hands tied by like trying to stick to like uh, a mythological description of the giants. If there's just like there's there's an account floating around that's like, oh yeah, they had big scaly dragon legs, and he can't really get away from that. Because if he can't, I would say uh, just fucking ignore it. <laughs> also, you can still keep those basic elements and make them more differentiated. I think there is no account that says that Poseidon is a beach bum. You invented that. <laughs> I believe yeah. in you, Rick. Very true. Also, the thing that they all have is, like, they have the dragon legs, and they're all described as having, like, dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a very... Hmm. Bad guys be having dreadlocks in Rick Ryden books. I remember uh, Polyphemus had them as well. Oh, for... Well, of course, you have to associate the specific hairstyle with, like, unkemptness, like, mm-hmm. sort of primalness. Um, there, there's nothing... This is an idea that should not be problematized at all. There's nothing loaded in that in any way. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> oh. Fucking hell. This is the final Hazel chapter. I, I, I need to figure out why. Like, wh- the final thing we're ever going to get from her. But, okay, because like it's not like we're not going to see her anymore, right? But If she was going to die, she would have died in her respective chapters, I think. I think so. Maybe. I would hope. It feels like she'd be done kind of dirty if she died it from like Frank's perspective and it was all about how fucked up Frank was about it. That's I think I would actually be true. really upset by that. I think I would rather that Frank dies in Hazel's chapters if it almost <laughs> happens. Like Frank gets his fucking death sentence. D- is he going to do it? Is he going to die? I, I don't know. I mean, I... He could just, like... Oh, fuck, you know what's gonna happen? What? Because he hasn't gotten along with Arion for, like, the entire book. But it's gonna be, like, Arion lets him on his back and he goes really fast so that um, Frank can, like, melt each chain with his wood before it goes out. Is, I think, what's gonna happen. (laughs) That's actually... That's kind of cool, I guess. But also sucks. No, yeah, no, that's... That's an interesting use of what is at the character's disposal. Thematically, it's nothing. Right, right. Like, oh, he gave up more of his life, and now it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like the, it's not like the smaller the wood gets, his lifespan shortens. It's yeah, no. Literally, it's, he just it's dies. Literally just that, yeah, he just dies. It's like, it's the thing people talk about with like the problem with Dungeons and Dragons, or just like HP in general. Mm-hmm. Where like. None of your HP actually matters except for the last hit point. <laughs> like you're you're perfectly fine even if you're at like one out of a thousand hit points until you take the last hit and then you're dead. Yeah. Speaking of Arion, uh, I I do this every time that something goes very fast in a Rick Ryden book. Uh, but I I kind of I run the numbers to try and see if I can figure out how fast it was going because one of these days I'm gonna catch him out and catch him like breaking the speed of light or something. Uh, but no such luck this time. Arion uh, uh, only hits uh, 0.01% of the speed of light, uh, or nine times the speed of sound. I, I really love how much your 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 backgrounds, your STEM backgrounds <laughs> are coming into the series lately. 
I just listen. I I I I have a D in A level physics, and we're gonna make it everyone else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh. A level physics sound. That's like the best one, right? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No, that's like that's like that's the equivalent of like high school physics. It feels like it should go like A. Like A is the top one usually. We can also do like S level physics or like X level <laughs> physics, and those are like the or like so, so ultra A level. Rare. A level is not like a description of the like grade that I got. A level uh-huh. is just the type of exams that you take in uh in college, where it's just because it's graded from like A down to like uh, U, I think. Oh sure. Uh, and I, I came I came away from that with a D, which is technically a pass. Uh, and we're all we're all technically passing here on Unwise Girls. <laughs> hey, it's really weird that they climb up a uh, like collapsing glacier that is uh-huh. like fucking melting, and nobody thinks to bounce off with that. With um, hey, maybe Guy's got a point. We, yeah, we can see this fucking ice cap melting in front of us. <laughs> it's happening in real time. I, for some reason, I thought I was like, oh they're dodging that like i thought rick riordan was like dodging that idea by being like oh it's actually just like all the power that's there is like causing it to crack mm-hmm. but no it is basically just saying that the the glaciers are melting huh like because that that shit does just happen but like you know you can't you can't have an eco-fascist villain in a book uh, and an image of a glacier fucking melting and not draw draw the dots there no for sure it's it's very strange like, I guess, I guess, okay, to Rick Riordan's credit, we don't need the characters to say the thing that is happening all the time. That's true. I guess. Like, we can, I, I think Rick Riordan thinks of us and his readers as smart enough to see the gra- the glaciers melting and understand that this is about global warming. But the fact that we understand that and none of the characters seem to twig it just makes them all seem really dopey. <laughs> This is true. I guess they don't have a lot of time to think about it right now. I suppose they are they are on the back of a horse that is like running up the side of a glacier and then maybe like freaking out about that. Uh-huh. Uh The gods the gods really just cannot stop taking L's and like setting themselves up to take L's. Yeah. Like one of the one of the big conflicts here is that um Thanatos outlines how punitive like godly justice is where he's talking about how like oh yeah if you try to free me these shades will go absolutely ape shit because if the giants lose this war they know they're not going back to asphodel they're going to punishment and it's just like i you you need to if you are in a situation like this give the enemies some kind of option to surrender like, they, they need some kind of way out, or they're just going to fight like cornered rats every single time if they if they know that their choices are uh, win or go to the fields of punishment. Yeah, you're right. Like, I think this is actually a pretty good moment for the Giants um, insofar as, like, Alcyonius is being set up as, like, the anti-Pluto here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and having, and I think we kind of called this, having this be, like, uh, oh, the all the fucking dead demigods are here to battle for him. <laughs> like that's that's I think that's great. And the fact like Thanatos' thing of like, oh, I am death, I am impartial, and so I'm gonna be kind of an asshole and needle you is also great. It's very good, and yeah, it's 
Percy really needed to drill harder on those reforms he was trying to do at the end of Last Olympian. Uh-huh. Because it kind of seems like everything to do with the gods is still fucked. It it really is. <laughs> why is there a why is there a fields of punishment? You know, why do we not have rehabilitative justice instead in, in the underworld is my thought. Like you have eternity to do it. I guess it's, it's cheaper. I guess so. Because, like, I, Hades is mad about the idea that he might have to give Chiron, no, Chiron a raise in Lightning Thief. So maybe that's actually right. a consideration. Like, uh, no matter what, Hades is always a capitalist hellscape. Whether it's, <laughs> like, the the Rick Riordan books, whether it's fucking Hadestown, uh, it's always the same thing. Mm-hmm. I will say, I think this is... One of the the most like godly feeling gods we've encountered uh, in the Heroes of Olympus so far, though Thanatos. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but like, I, I've I've especially been like bitching about how awful some of the uh, god interpretations have been. But like, there is an ethereal otherworldliness to Thanatos. He doesn't have a gimmick, and like, I like I tend to like the gimmicks if they're mm-hmm. like done well. But he doesn't have a bit to him. He's literally just deaf. He doesn't have time to have a gimmick. <laughs> he's not like, oh, he's a mail carrier who also carries death to you. He's not like a dog walker who leads spirits on a chain or something like that. Which, <laughs> Although that would be fun. That would kind of uh, rule. He, he's just like an angel of death who will appear and take you to the underworld. Uh, and this is especially because I've just realized what Thanatos' gimmick would have been if uh, if he'd had one. Uh-huh. Uh, he would have been an ICE agent. <laughs> what the fuck? Because the, oh, God. we have the border security death metaphor already. Oh, God, you're right. So his job was to keep people on the right side of the thing. So I'm glad that we were just not doing that. Thanatos is out here saying to build the wall. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, rancid. Truly rancid. Sometimes I do wonder why we podcast. <laughs> I feel like the people who listen to this and listen to us talk about these books sometimes gain interesting insights and sometimes we just make everything worse. Uh-huh. <laughs> these books are probably better than we make them sound. I don't know. <laughs> or or maybe worse. Um fuck. What was it? I need to say how do I segue this? We both need to I mean we both need to think <laughs> before we talk. I mean the fuck. And another thing. Uh, (laughs) uh, another thing that i really enjoyed in these chapters was uh like everything in hazel's house like just fuck hazel's going through it i like um the the greetings cards which initially i kind of felt like they were in danger of being like more that kind of lol random rufflecopter humor that we've had yeah uh it sets you up for that and then fucking smacks you in the face with Hazel thinking, oh, this is like some kind of sick cosmic joke about every occasion that I missed while I was dead, which is horrifying. Yeah, but, it's one of my favorite parts. And yeah. it's just entirely, it's like a very sort of literary image, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the old abandoned home full of greeting, full of boxes upon boxes of greeting cards is, it's not like, it's like a bit strange, a bit like out of place, and makes you feel an emotion. Yeah, definitely. I said, I mean, that's the the feeling of that is even enhanced by the fact that um, 
the the um all of Hazel's shit was protected by a sign that had been put over it, and it's a sign for marking like gold prospecting equipment. <laughs> and what what was Hazel's role before she died, if not gold prospecting? Oh Christ, yeah. <laughs> like that's horrible. It's also implied that it was like temporarily a hotel or something. Was it? I think it was just like it was for rent as like storage space, right? Oh, that might be right. Never mind. Yeah, this house has definitely been used for like I don't know some kind of weird scam where someone paid for a bunch of cards to be printed in like China or something, got them shipped to Alaska because it was cheaper, and pocketed the difference by never getting them shipped to uh, to the U.S. or something. Is my my theory on how these ended up here? Uh huh. You know what would be a great uh like thing to take place in this house? Uh huh. A ghost story. Yes. Just like this is a great like oh I've I've gone out uh like me and my crew have like rented this house to live in while we're drilling for oil or something and the fucking ghosts are haunting me and I I think I don't know if the, if this wasn't the story that it was I would like to see just the story about Hazel haunting some some folks I feel like you could you could take the the chapters that are like Hazel's backstory uh just make it so that she doesn't come back from Hades or something and just make her a ghost haunting this house and you could get her a pretty creepy fucked up ghost story out of that Hazel would be a good ghost she would be I don't know if that's like a compliment I'm not sure <laughs> her mom would be a good like cause it's, it's a very typical it's a very typical ghost story like mm-hmm. oh the young girl died because her mother abused her and she's still haunting us because of etc etc like so just subtract all the like giants and Gaia bit I guess and you get a, a pretty archetypal story yeah and I feel like th- th- it would also be like this would be a happy ending phase I feel like she would end up being pretty chill as long as the people who were in the house weren't awful like I can I can imagine her turning out to just be like a friendly ghost by the end of it that yeah definitely be like a cute little Disney movie or something yeah <laughs> This'll this'll be a fucking what if the Percy Jackson what if series that is certainly Ooh. in the works. Please don't make oh, you that. Mean like, Please don't. You mean like the fucking the fucking uh MCU shit, don't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> See, I think a Percy Jackson what if series could be so cool, but not like that. Yeah, please no. What what is what would your if you were able to make a Percy Jackson what if thing, what would it be? Uh, I mean, the murder mystery is a good one, mm-hmm. but I think, hmm, I, I would really want to do a, um, one of mine is like, just like, what if all of the, uh, what if all the demigods were superheroes instead? <laughs> I, I just think that's very fun. Like, what if all, they were all like teen superheroes who were to, who were save the city together? Um, I have very I have very basic what ifs that I I'm a, I'm a fan of AUs but it's always like very basic stuff, um and also is uh maybe could be stuff that happens if we ever start doing our actual plays. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't know where you get this shit from, frankly. I mean, the, this is a series about a bunch of troubled, superpowered kids who can't really be out in the world because it's so dangerous and hostile to them going to like uh, an educational facility run by a kindly old man in a wheelchair i don't know what kind of superhero comparisons you could draw from that it's ridiculous to me 
holy fuck, I've literally never thought about that, but this is kind of X-Men. <laughs> well, it's interesting, because X-Men is a story about, you know, you're, you're, they're hated and feared, but they're going to the school and they're learning, and they, they're, it's the generations, they're teaching new generations. Uh-huh. Demigods aren't hated and feared in the same way that defines mutants. Yeah. But this is, I'm going to have to think more about this, because this is fascinating. Uh, my what if series would be uh, what if Clarice was um, uh, somehow like the chosen one or like came up on a prophecy and was the main character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have the like Neville Longbottom style. Like, uh, Neville, like he was the actual chosen one, not Harry. God, thanks for ruining that for me immediately. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're right. It would be cool. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, what, is, what does Guy mean that... Um, Nico used Hazel. I I'm interested in this too because I think the easiest read is just like he's using her as a replacement sister. But Hazel knows about that. Right, and it almost sounds more like he's using her as some sort of political pawn or something. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, because Hazel. It's weird because Hazel doesn't say what the fuck are you talking about, but also I have no idea what the fuck guy is talking about. It feels like something that's going to be, like, more gone into later. Mm-hmm. But I have to, like, is, did Nico somehow discover Camp Jupiter and then use Hazel to try and, like, because he had to, he, he's the one who brought her to Camp Jupiter, right? Yeah, and it seems, it seems like, if anything, Nico used his pull to get her into Camp Jupiter rather than using her as a bargaining chip. But maybe, maybe he's using her to create that connection like, as some sort of a long con to, like, build relations between Greek and Roman demigods. Mm-hmm. But it could even be, like, I don't know, maybe... Because I think Nico knows the uh, the Prophecy of the Seven. I think he was around at the end. Or he must have learned it somehow. And maybe he was just, like, wandering around in the underworld and saw Hazel and was like, yeah, shit, that's one of them. And, like, that's one of the big reasons why he grabbed her. Uh-huh. But why does Gaia say it so negatively? I guess? Like, it feels like something that Hazel, like would be upset to learn but it, i don't know yeah like it doesn't it, it seems like hazel is aware that there's there's some awkwardness but nico does have genuine affection for her so i don't it's it's a weird moment also nico's been captured i guess oh yeah what the fuck like that, why <laughs> what that seems like it's so. going to be a conflict for next book i don't see how that's getting wrapped up in this one <sighs> who knows you never know what can happen in eight chapters of a required book that's true. That's true. We could go full King Chronicles and do like the end of Throne of Fire, which is just a very rushed, sloppy ending, which doesn't really resolve uh-huh. anything properly. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Throne of Fire really was the fucking sacrificial lamb for this book. Like it, it, really it, was. it died so that this one could be pretty good. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, speaking of this book pretty being pretty good, uh, should we call it a quit for today? I think do we do we have any not cishet moments to talk about? Oh, not really. I guess I guess Percy and Frank being struck dumb by Thanatos's beauty. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Alcyonius. No. Sorry, <laughs> the, you know what say- that was meaning to me. I took two of them. Percy being struck dumb by Thanatos's beauty. Okay, I'll take Frank being struck dumb by Thanatos's beauty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I almost tried to construct something about like, oh, Alcyonus, Alcyonius, like having his body constructed in a way that he doesn't have control over, but also 
reclaims in a sense, but this is, I'm talking fucking nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're going to get away with that. (laughs) Uh... Our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Network of Podcasts. You can find them at Moonshot Pods on Twitter and listen to all their wonderful little works. Uh, the Extra Life stream, the Hextra Life stream to raise money for children's hospitals, I believe, is coming up on uh, the 22nd and 23rd. Uh, so go go there and donate see us playing i got wait i got this wrong when we talked about an extra of the pods is it jeopardy or family feud why why don't you guess um whichever is the one with steve harvey is the one that we're playing there we go <laughs> uh and and if you want to contact us you can go to twitter.com slash unwise girls there we've got links to our personal twitters our email our discord server which is always popping uh <laughs> and our patreon patreon.com slash unwise girls uh, if you want to support us, you can go and leave us a five-star interview. You can tell your friends, or you can go to aforementioned Patreon link and uh, forge the dollar a month get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For three dollars a month, get the Discord role of v- Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. I feel like also um, we've never had someone at that Patreon tier, so we'll give you like a special shout out or something if you sign up at that one. <laughs> For Friend of Bacchus. Yeah, literally nobody has ever. It's always either the the one dollar tier or the five dollar tier. There is no in between. I feel like that's like not true. That is true. I've been reading out these Patreon names for Jesus Christ almost two years now. Nobody oh has ever God. been a friend of Marcus. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned up at the top, uh, our latest bonus episode uh, is us doing like uh, a full length deep dive into Rick Ryden's debut novel, uh, Big Red Tequila. And talking about how, like, you know, how it differs from the Percy Jackson series, but also how, like, there is a lot, a surprising amount of DNA from this, like, Texas crime novel that carries over into these mythology books for children. Uh, it's a really interesting listen. I, I think you would appreciate it, personally. I completely agreed. And for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and... A special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And, as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. ghosts what about monsters or haunted houses evil furniture stores cannibalism doppelgangers childhood mysteries that involve a strange cult or a scary clown if you answered yes to any of the above you may be eligible to become a patron at the dead letter society's library of terrors dead letter society is a book club podcast about horror mysteries thrillers and all genre of things that go bump in the night Every episode, me, Marn, and my wife Alyssa pick a book from our Library of Terrors to read, then come together to discuss it live on air. 
Which characters did we get too attached to? What plot twist shocked us? Which scares fell flat and which had us jumping out of our seats in anxiety? Which character deaths made us lie down on the floor in anguish? You'll just have to join us here in the Library of Terrors to find out. Dead Letter Society is a proud part of the Moonshot Network. You can find us on Twitter at Dead Letter Pod, and you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon at the next meeting of the Society.